Today we have Jeff Johnson on the show. Are you looking for ways to reduce the risk in your investments? Jeff Johnson is a general partner and passive investor with extensive experience managing real estate investments. In this episode, you will learn how to limit investment risk by establishing buying criteria. Who are the players on your team? And how to leverage your background in real estate investing. Listen and learn. I'm Darren Batchelder, ex-corporate guy turned business owner and real estate investor. It wasn't long ago that I was searching for a new way to provide for my family. Dreaming of finding a way to achieve both financial freedom and freedom of my time. Fast forward through many learning lessons and you'll see the business and the real estate portfolio I have today, which changes lives and gives me so much more freedom. The freedom that I thought only existed as a dream. My wife and I have invested in over 9,000 multifamily units and it all started with a duplex. If you are a C-level executive or other high net worth individual with at least $50,000 to invest and you're looking for alternative assets to help preserve your family's capital, build your wealth and save on your taxes, then you've come to the right place. I developed a way to invite others to invest in our deals, not available anywhere else, and do the same thing I've done. To get started, book your discovery call today at calendly.com forward slash dbatchelder. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Jeff Johnson before we start the show. Jeff lives in the DFW area. He and his wife work closely together in building their real estate portfolio. Jeff's a big believer in leveraging the experience of coaches and mentors. He's also a big believer in building the right team. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today we have a very special guest. We've got Jeff Johnson. Jeff, appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure, Darren. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So a little bit on how we know each other. Uh, we are both part of the same multifamily mentorship group, the, the Brad Sumrock group here in Dallas. And um, Jeff is, has jumped into the multifamily world and I'm interested to hear what he's been up to and, and how he can help new people kind of jump into this world as well. So with that, can you share with the listeners how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much and uh, happy to be here. So we have uh, about a dozen single family properties still. We got involved in that in about 2007. And then when looking to scale, we got into apartments and we're general partners in two, actually lead sponsors and then all with my wife and I. And then uh, uh, passive in, in five deals for about 500 units. Can you share with the listeners what your background is? So people yeah. come to the real estate world from all different, <laughs> different backgrounds. So. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'll is tell your you, background? I'll, I'll take you all the way back uh, really far. So I grew up economically challenged and, and started working at a really young age. 
And uh, primarily as a laborer, one of my best friends, his dad was a general contractor, built houses, amongst other things. And uh, our first job that we had, Darren, was actually spreading straw on a two-acre lot that they had recently seeded. And uh, so literally I'm out, out spreading straw, but then one thing led to another. And then we, we got into uh, framing houses and uh, being, how, how uh, old were you and where were you living? Uh, 14 in Middletown, Ohio. Yeah. So we got into, uh, you know, one thing into the next. And then, you know, as years went on, we were installing hardwood floors, framing houses, doing roofs and uh, found myself actually doing a lot of carpentry work. Fast forward uh, the, on and off through college and then got a um, management degree, uh, went to work for a finance company. And that's where I met my wonderful wife, Carrie. And um, we became, we were started off as underwriters and then loan processors. Um, we became mortgage originators and then we did all of them at the same time. So we literally would start at the beginning uh, with talking to someone about a purchase or a refinance we would put together the documentation, the disclosures, the finances, the appraisal, title work, then all the docs, close it, and then even collect it. So we got to see the whole process from soup to nuts, start to finish, A to Z, and had the privilege of um, trying to resolve some of those that got behind or delinquent as well. So it was a, it was a great foundation for what, we've, what we're into now. It's funny how... You know, each of us has kind of a different pathway to get here. And sometimes you think that the experiences you have as you're growing up and as you're going through work and life may not be that applicable, but you can leverage off of that experience. And, and you typically have a unique experience from the next guy um, that doesn't have that experience. So that's, that's fantastic. I'm sure at the time you didn't realize that one working with the GC, you were going to be able to see it years and years <laughs> later, right? No, honestly, I distinctly remember one winter break. Um, they were, we were building a house. It was probably 25 degrees outside, and uh, it, was just, it was just freezing, and, and I couldn't work with the gloves on, so I had to hold the metal nails, you know, with my bare fingers, and they were all frozen. And uh, just the, the pain in my fingers and, you know, trying to drive a nail and, uh, one time I, I missed the nail and hit my thumb and, and I just remember, all right, I'm going back to college because I cannot do this for a long period of time for sure. That's funny. Um, so you thought I, I, I got to go to college and now I'm, I don't know if, you, if you're in the same boat as me, but I try to tell young people like, look, get a job to learn, but, but look for an opportunity to become an owner an owner of something, an owner of yeah. cash flowing assets is what we're talking about here with multifamily. But, you know, there's other opportunities to be an owner too, to be a business owner or whatever. But, um, the, you know, the, the general contractor that you were working for was probably making a lot, a whole heck of a lot more money than, than <laughs> you and your other friends that were, that were working for him. Oh yeah, for sure. And I remember one, one job we had, uh, he bought an old fourplex and, uh, again, uh, we had the sexy job. So we got to go in, into the basement of this fourplex where the prior owner slash tenants, um, just use it as a dumpster in the basement. And they had literally stacked up trash and garbage, probably five feet high. So it was so high. We had to crawl. We couldn't stand up. We had to crawl on top of all the 
the trash and then literally throw them out the, the window uh, or take them up the stairs. And slowly, the more and more we worked, it, it lowered. And then we could kind of, you know, begin to kind of walk hunched over and then finally, you know, stand up straight and then ultimately, you know, walk on the floors. Uh, what was really cool about that, though, is, I, you know, lunch breaks and different things. We talked with the owner uh, and he, you know, just, hey, how does this work? Why did you buy it? It's a piece of junk, all these kinds of things. Like, no, I'm, I'm renting out the top two units and that'll make the mortgage payment. We're going to move our mother-in-law in, in, in the downstairs unit. And then the other one will actually put money in our pockets every single month, pay off the mortgage in 15 years, and we'll have a free asset, essentially, uh, that will pay us then, you know, with four different rents. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. A free asset. That's, that's, that's awesome. And so you were, you were at a young age, you were exposed to that. Did, did it take a while for that to kind of sink in? Like later on in life, you're like remembered back to that time. Yeah. Well, I, I knew that day that uh, I was going to do real estate somehow, but uh, had no idea being uh, economically challenged. Uh, we had a hard time getting through, you know, the week as opposed to, you know, talk about buying another, buying an investment property or something. And, you know, went to college uh, with lots and lots and lots of student loans. And then, of course, got out of college and, and it literally took us years and years and years to pay back our student loans. So uh, to come to your point, um, you know, would, would certainly knowing what I know now probably taken a different route as that pertains and uh, probably wouldn't have taken on all that college debt because that took a really long time to, to get going for sure. Right. And I think today with, with COVID, there's more and more students that are looking at like, look, if I, if I could do this online and that much cheaper and, you know, get my degree and not come out of school with this heavy debt load, you know, I'll be that much better for it. Um, and, and I, you know, I applaud them for, for that. You know, I think you lose a little bit of the, I don't know, the college growing up experience, um, you know, by doing that. But economically, you know, for people that, you know, you mentioned a number of times that you were economically challenged. I mean, if you're, if you're going to come out with student loans, um, that online process might be, be a way to do it. Oh, 100%. Agree. So what role are you, you're in two GP deals now. What role are you playing in those, in those deals? So it was one of the lead sponsors. GP or? uh, Co. And, um, you know, primarily, uh, again, underwriting, finding the deal, putting the numbers together. And then, uh, you know, the powers and the the teamwork. And so working with a team of folks that, uh, can manage the assets, um, take care of the capex, do those types of things. I'm really fortunate to be able to have a wonderful spouse, Carrie, that is the asset manager on both of them. So she fills me in on a lot of the different things we work together on on a lot of it, but she really does the the heavy lifting on both of those properties. That's awesome. I recently had um, a, a husband wife couple on and. They said that they have done a number of of these syndication deals, and when they divided up responsibilities, it made their life a lot a lot better. Where one person was handling these roles and responsibilities, and and the other person was handling these, and um, because they have different ways of doing it, 
Yeah, totally. So well, it's nice having your wife that can han- handle the asset management piece. Yeah, absolutely. She was, um, she did underwriting as well. And then I actually worked for um, a state farm for a while and was an underwriter for property and casualty also. So she's really good with the numbers and she, she did collections. And again, she's managed our single family portfolio pretty much primarily for the last decade or so. Um, so it's like from a skill set perspective, you know, right down our lane. So you did single family from 2007. When did you get into multifamily? We started uh, looking into multifamily in 2018. And then uh, I think we joined Brad's program in 2019, um, just in time for COVID to hit. And uh, the whole world turned upside down there. Perfect timing, right? Yeah. And then we were able to uh, get in contract on our first deal in 2021. Yeah. And then so we get picked up one in 2021 and then another one in 2022. Awesome. Yeah. In COVID, I, you know, I was in a number of deals, both as a GP and as a LP. And it was a scary time to, to own assets. But then, you know, it's funny because now when I talk to syndicators, everyone's like, yeah, I wish I bought more back then. Like, you know, there, there were properties that would come up and people were scared to do it. And the ones that, you know, had the courage to, to move forward, you know, were, were um, well rewarded for that. So how, talking about that, um, were you nervous at all on your first syndication deal? Well, yeah, yes and no. So, you know, based on the fact of what we've done previously, um, you know, we we're really confident that we were able to put it together. Um, actually, there's a bunch of newbies that put it together primarily, but um, we had the skill set and, and the experience that, you know, was applicable that's needed for these things. Obviously, there's going to be unexpected um, challenges that always come up, but um, it was more of, I'd say, more excitement than, than nervousness. Well, good for you. I, you know, a lot of people, I think, get hung up on, you know, there's a lot to it, buying a large there's apartment a building for the first time. And, and you know, whether it's good advice or bad advice, I, you know, I tell people, you know, just focus on the next one or two or three steps. Like, you, you, otherwise, you're going to get so overwhelmed on all the different things you have to do. Um, and then once you do that for that step one, you know, it's in the rear view mirror and now it's not scary anymore, but in the beginning, you know, doing anything is scary. Yep. No, absolutely. For sure. And we tried to have that. Yeah. A couple of things we want to do is really limit our risk. And, uh, you know, Brad does a great job teaching in his program. Uh, you know, if you start off with, with a good asset, like you can avoid an awful lot of problems just by avoiding them to from the, from the get go. And so for that, we wanted to buy a, a newer, newer property, newer to us was mid eighties, um, in really good condition. So we, we found that it had been owned by the same owner for 35 years and they had, so we would call that, you know, number one pride of ownership, uh, no large deferred maintenance things. We knew that a big ticket item might be the boiler. So we just put that into our budget said, okay, let's just plan on replacing it because we know that that could go out. We planned on replacing, you know, a certain percentage of the AC units, planned on replacing some of the washers and dryers. Um, we took over some preventive maintenance things that they did around the plumbing and then, you know, put in a, a, 
a significant cushion for other things that might go wrong or, you know, kind of placeholder, so to speak, with their CapEx budget on uh, uh, additional upgrades and repairs. And then the other part is it's in a um, very good area. So we've got a, a good asset in a good area that's already run well and have been cared for really well also. So, you know, it's easier to run a really good company that's already running well than it is to take over one, especially on your first one and try to, hey, I'm going to go in and redo every single unit and, you know, fix the roof and fix all kinds of problems. So that's kind of the ways that we were trying to manage our risk on it. And really the, the learning curve is just like taking over the process, uh, which we had, we had plenty of um, learn learnings for sure on our first one. Uh, but we had a great team of people that was able to, uh, to help mitigate some of those challenges. And I'd say that's the other part is make sure you have great people that you're working with. Uh, so we had some excellent um, long-term successful business owners as our, our partners. And so, you know, that's going to make things um, a lot easier for you as well. If you've got the right people that are professional and experienced and are, you know, really good at being able to make business decisions uh, can help to make other types of good decisions also. Those are, those are great points. Um, you know, one, the, the, the type of property that you were looking for, you, you guys were very, um, focused on buying a property that didn't have a lot of deferred maintenance. So it was going to be easier to, to run and manage. Um, secondly, you, you were very focused on partnering with good business people. You know, the, and the ideal is to, in, to invest with some, partner with somebody that has experience already doing this. Um, sometimes that, ha- that happens and sometimes, you know, you partner with two or three other um, folks that have, you know, success in other areas of life. And as Jeff mentioned, they're, you know, they're good and experienced as business people and then they can apply that to you know, running an apartment community. So you brought up learning lessons, you know, can you share some of the learning lessons that once you closed on the deal and you were managing the deal, what were some of the things that came up that you had to to work through? Well, the boiler, um, we knew it was going to go out and it certainly did, uh, in a perfect time of the year, which was, uh, some of the coldest days of January. (laughs) So I, one, I was glad that we had, um, (laughs) (laughs) I was glad that, you know, we had money allocated for that. And honestly, um, my wife, Carrie had done a a great job of um, proactively going out and getting bids from different companies and just getting to know them uh, before we actually had to make the decision to do it. Uh, Because the last time you want to make it, the, the worst time to make a really big decision like that is when you're, you know, in trying to fix a big problem, like the boiler, the boiler already going out. Yeah. So she already had great relationships with, um, bids and had talked to the property, uh, talked to the owners of the companies several different times. So it was really just like flipping the switch and saying, okay, let's do it right now, as opposed to anything else. Um, but that was a big learning. And then the the second thing I'd say, we went with um, a property management company that ultimately, uh, ended up going out of business. And so we had, um, one of the, so one of the big learnings would be like, Hey, if you've got to change property management companies, who's your go, you know, number two go to. 
And, you know, do you already have those relationships built? Do you know who you would go to? Kind of like what that ramp up looks like ahead of time and be ready proactively uh, in case something does have to happen and you got to change property management companies. And fortunately with this one, kind of similarly, we had some red flags with some issues. We escalated into owner um, senior management uh, in the company and uh, they weren't getting resolved. So we started quickly talking to other property management companies, found a great one with Tam and, um, you know, started the transition uh, sooner than when they, they actually went out of business. So I'm, I'm really glad that they, we, we saw the red flags and that we took action early on. And again, when we talk about that, um, it was Lisa Landry who actually had the relationship with Tam and said, Hey, we need to talk to them. They're an outstanding company. And, uh, Let's 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 talk to them about taking over. Yeah, I mean that's a so, so the property management company is a big piece of of the puzzle, and they're managing the day to day. And I remember um, on on one of the my first indication product property, we 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 saw those red flags also, and I was on a mastermind, and actually. Ask some other syndicators, hey, how hard is it to switch out property management companies? Because they were having a conversation about that. And it was, you know, great to hear from other syndicators that said, you know what, Darren, it's not as difficult as you think. Um, if you if you know in your gut you got to do it, you just got to do it. So, um, you know, I applaud you and your team for being able to um, see that as well. Oh, thank you. So... When you think back to, you know, before you did your first multifamily deal and then after doing them, like what were some of the thoughts versus reality? Like some of the fears versus, you know what, that wasn't, I shouldn't even have been worried about that. Do you want um, any of those come to light like you were? You know, it's, uh, I'll say there's always a lot of uncertainty um, when you're first putting it together and uh, especially when you have to put a lot of hard money down, that can certainly be fearful. Um, but again, if you've got the right team in place ahead of time and you've got, you need to have some folks that are experienced with, you know, having gone through the progress process or at least knowledgeable of going through the process. And, um, you know, really fortunate to be in bad Brad's program. Uh, Nick Espinade is a coach and now a great friend. Uh, that helped us with walking through the steps. And so I say again, from, from managing the risk, that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did was have guardrails and, uh, you know, professional, competent, uh, experienced syndicators that we could go to. And any of the coaches on Brad's team um, would, would help out quite a bit. And of course, we also used a, a broker, a buyer broker and Tom Lafferty, because you, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, you don't want to have life teach you uh, a really, really big lessons when you're talking about uh, the size and scope of, you know, purchasing a, an apartment. So, so Tom and Nick, Brad's team, all just really uh, super beneficial. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great to, um, you know, some people look at, you know, I've talked to some people from social media, and whatnot that. They, they're kind of leery of conferences and multifamily mentors and all that. Um, 
you know, it's an investment in yourself, but it's also an investment in the network of people that have already done what you want to do. And, you know, you talk about guardrails, you know, being able to, hey, what do you, you know, have you seen this before? What did you, you do? And that gives a lot of comfort. You know, I partnered with a guy, uh, Raj Gupta out of Chicago, who I met through the group, and he had done this, you know, many times before. So, you know, when I came across something, I would share it with him. And then, you know, he would say, you know, don't worry, like this, this will all work out. And this is how we handle it. And that gives a lot of comfort. If you're doing it by yourself, you know, that would be a, a lot more scary. You know, another thing that, that uh, I think that we learned, um, especially in the negotiation or, you know, trying to win the bid process is to be, I'd say, cautiously aggressive. And so, you know, you, when you're underwriting it, the numbers are the numbers and you want to make sure that you've got, you know, third party factual data that back up um, everything in your underwriting. And you want to also leave some, some extra credit there for yourself and, and be able to take any uh, variable expense and fix it, so to speak, if, if you're able to. And so, you know, this year there's been an awful lot of talk around rates for us personally. We what like do, to what have do you mean by that. Uh, take a variable expense and fix it if you can. Yeah. So, so think of, um, you know, interest rates. So interest rates, um, if you've got a, a floating rate, um, you're really at the mercy of whatever that's, that's linked to, whether it's SOFR or, you know, formerly, uh, a LIBOR or whatever it might be, um, 10 year treasury or something. So it, it can go up and down. And again, there's caps in different ways to be able to manage that risk, but just making sure that you, you know what the risk is. And if you're going to have a variable rate loan that you need to make sure you've got caps in place, uh, not only for, and, and be able to underwrite the property that's going to perform to go up to that cap, but then also that you've got money to buy the expire, you know, the next cap also. And so for us, um, we've gone with, with fixed rates loans and, you know, we sleep really well at night, um, regardless of whatever the fed's doing with raising or lowering rates, because we know our business model that's baked into the plan and that's not going to change. And that's like your number one expense. So the other thing I would say, there's some different things with, with water, uh, as well as with electric, uh, as when you're looking into it from the front end to say, okay, is there, there an opportunity to do some um, water conservation plans that we know is going to lower it. Now, exactly how much is, is unknown. Um, but by, by being able to lower it, you know, that it's not going to be any higher than what it is today. So those, those are a couple of, of little ex examples. And then with being cautiously aggressive, you always want to leave a few things. Um, what we like to do is make sure that we're leaving a little bit of extra economic vacancy, um, plugged in, um, Again, we've been really fortunate with being able to, you know, run it close to being fully occupied. Um, but our underwriting is still such that we use, you know, around 10% economic vacancy, uh, which gives us a, a big cushion there. Uh, and the other part I would say is if you've got a couple of pieces of other income, maybe you're able to add washers and dryers, uh, perhaps covered parking uh, or a tech package or something like that. Um, don't include all of it because... You know, as life often happens, um, something will come up 
And you want to be able to use that or have, have a little cushion or fallback or be able to overperform in some areas um, that you're not expecting to, and that'll help you be able to hit your, your numbers. Yeah. Those, those are all great points. And, you know, another thing that I thought about when you said cautiously aggressive was, you know, underwriting for people that haven't done this before, underwriting is just basically having a spreadsheet and putting in different assumptions into, into the, the model. And I don't know about you, but when I first started underwriting these multifamily deals, none of them worked. None. And <laughs> I would look at like these other people that were winning these deals and I'm like, how are they doing that? And so I would then log on to their you know, webinar and I, you know, I see who won the deal and it wasn't me. And I'd log on and say, how'd they do it? What did their underwriting look like? And what I realized was there's a lot of components within the underwriting that you, you know, you have to make a decision on. And, you know, so let's use interest rates, you know, say interest rates are 6% and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to be aggressive. I'll put in six and a half. And then, you know, economic vacancy, you're going to, oh, well, you know what, I'm just, it's probably, it's been running at 5%, but I'm just going to put in 10%. And then, you know, maintenance expenses, you, you, you put in higher amounts in all the different areas to be ultra aggressive. Well, then all of a sudden you look at the end result and you're like, there's a negative return here. There's, there's no, this deal doesn't make sense. And then you see other people actually bid up the deal and, and win the deal and then, he, and then two years later, they've increased NOI and it was, was a great property. And you're like, how did they do it? Because, you know, after a while, you have to be confident that you can actually execute the business plan. If you're conservative in every single area of the underwriting, it's just not going to pencil. You, so you have to understand what's realistic um, or else you won't win a deal. Spot on, spot on. And, uh, and that, that's super, it's really challenging with being able to, so that's why I say it's, it's cautiously aggressive. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. you want to, you want to be able to see what the numbers are, but know what the numbers are. And, you know, you don't go any higher than, than what the, the numbers tell you. And if it goes higher then you know, if, if the, the property goes up for, to a higher bidder, then, goes to a higher bidder, but you can't compromise your own numbers and your own business plan. Yeah. But I, I would add to that though, like try to, if you're new to the industry, like try to get on as on the email list of as many, as many syndicators as possible. And if you end up, you know, getting an opportunity to sign up for the webinar for the person that won the deal, like you may learn something you know, that they did differently and that you might be able to apply to your next deal. And, you know, so it's, it's not wasted effort because you've learned something. Um, you know, if, if you look at it and you're like, whoa, they got really aggressive. Well then, yeah, you, do, you back off and you don't do it. But sometimes I would look at this and I'm like, I didn't even think of doing that. And totally. like, no, that's, that's a great idea. Well, you're absolutely right, Darren. That's great. And um, one particular property we looked at, uh, that exact same thing happened. And um, we watched the webinar, you know, of the folks that won the deal. And it was the tech package. 
And I was like, holy smokes, they're going to earn, you know, this amount per unit, you know, times 150. That really makes a big difference. And, you know, when in a tight race, that's that can be the extra. So you're absolutely right with that. Right. Exactly. And so then you now you have something in your back pocket that you may include it in your next underwriting. You may not, you know, you may just, you know, but you know that you could potentially implement that, you know, um, where you didn't know that before. So, you know, I think it's important to learn from other people that are that are doing it um, because they, you know, they've already implemented a lot of these um, business practices and, and you can learn from them. So talk about, and that's another thing I think is valuable from the um, mentorship program is not just, you know, the mentor and the coaches and the guardrails, which is, are, you know, amazingly important. Um, but also it's the other people in the, you know, in that network that can, you can learn from, you can learn from them by watching their webinars and competing against them. You can also learn from them at networking functions. So at networking functions, there's, you know, kind of two things you could be doing. One is you could be meeting partners and investors. And the other is you're, you're trying to learn from other people. Like what, what are you doing in your properties now? That's bring you know adding value, and this is just a conversation you know, and they share something. And you're like, holy cow! Like, oh man, I could do that in my properties, and you know, it can improve the NOI dramatically. That's you know, that's just smart. You know, that's smart. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think from from networking, it, it, the, you hit the nail on the head there, and and you learn so much um, from you know, all the networking events that you go to and talk with other folks. And it's not, uh, you, know, you can learn from LPs there and GPs and, and, you know, everybody uh, from just different challenges that they've gone to or what it is that they're, they're looking at today, um, different people's experiences, areas, uh, all kinds of different things. We've got, um, you know, even in, in, in DFW, kind of like the different little, Submarkets, uh, there's different growth, as you all know, uh, different amounts of growth in different parts of the of the metroplex. Then, depending on what type of properties that you're going after, and the size and the scope, um, all those, you know, just hey, what's what's property management cost? Well, it depends, right? It depends on the the property, the size of it, number of units, the age of it, all those types of things. So. Um, no, I think that's perfect. And you just, you just learn and you, and then the really cool part about it is you make some friends, right? You make some, some people that are, are really cool to hang around that yeah. you like that inspire you. And, um, you know, I, I get inspired every time I go to one or, you know, have a conversation with a like-minded person, I get inspired and, uh, excited to do more and, and, and try out whatever it is that I learned. Yeah. So you said a lot there because. Like you can go to a networking function and look, there's a lot of business things that are going on with the economy at that particular time. Like, so you talked about the property management company. Well, when you saw the writing on the wall, well, you go to a networking function and you're friends with a lot of these people and you just ask them, hey, who have you had positive experiences with in property management, you know, for these types of properties? And... And then all of a sudden it gets bubbled down to two or three and, and, 
you know what? You could have spent six months trying to figure out who those two or three were if you were just, you know, by yourself and trying to Google, you know. And now people are, you know, have all these multifamily properties and maybe they have floating rate debt. And they're trying to figure out solutions. So they're asking other people. And it's not just how do we solve it, but collectively they can leverage off the experience of a lot of other folks in the group as well. And, hey, here's how we're doing it, you know, and that, that's huge. No, absolutely. Networking is uh, uh, always, always great to do, whether it's uh, in person or online. Lots of opportunities and, and things to learn. And one of the things that I've learned uh, is gosh, just all the changes that we've had since 2019. Um, you know, you think about the, the debt and you think about, it's just our, our economy and all the things that we went through. So 2019 come along, Hey, business is great. All businesses are doing fantastic stock markets, you know, insane. Um, then all of a sudden something happens called COVID and the whole world shuts down and, you know, then it opens back up a little bit. And then, uh, you know, and, and lenders quit lending completely uh, and sellers almost stopped selling. Um, so like you said previously, whoever it was that bought a property at the beginning of 2020, most likely is very thankful because they probably already hit their business plan and, and, and maybe even exited um, just right. because like what happened after the fact. So what I'll say, it's, it's always a great time um, to buy a property where the business plan and the numbers work, right? Regardless of anything else that's going on. And then the second part is um, we're always learning and things are always evolving. So you never, no one ever knows everything about everything. And people and companies are just figuring things out as we went through COVID. And then even as it opened up, then, you know, all the lenders are lending like crazy. Now everybody's selling their properties. So that's a whole nother problem yet again. And then, you know, and then as quickly as it all started, it seemed like it stopped with, with the Fed saying, OK, inflation's out of control. You think uh, put the brakes on, raise the rates and like stop all the insanity. So that creates yet another entirely different challenge. Um, so just the complexity with all of that over the last, you know, 24, 36 months is probably more com than combined. Gosh, going back to 2010, like that's 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 wild. That's wild. So it's great to have a network. The other thing is, is that, you know, you have a business plan, but you can't, you can't uh, forecast everything. So, you know, at the time, my discussions were what happens when we hit a recession? And then COVID hit and people were on TV saying, don't pay your rent. Like you can't, Nobody had ever seen that before, and you can't put that into a business plan. So, you know, what I, I guess that I was scared, you know, being a, you know, owner of, a, of multifamily at that time uh, when it first came out. But now, like, as time went on, what I learned was, you know what, people still paid their rent, you know, that we were still cash flow positive every month. We, our delinquency went up. There were, there were people that, you know, either legitimately lost their jobs and didn't have the, the income anymore, or, you know, they just decided they weren't going to pay. Um, but the minute they moved out, 
that there was a line of people waiting to, to move in and and they were willing to pay the rent you know so it it showed me the resiliency of this asset class very true that's certainly been amazing um for sure and uh you know there's always going to be different types of solutions um so when there's you know one we probably just talk about you know country the world and there's different types of problems that present themselves um you know, people are going to come up with different solutions uh, to the, the problems that we have. And those solutions oftentimes don't exist the, the, the day that the problem arises, so to speak. So I think, um, you know, knowing that you've got, uh, again, uh, managing for cash flow, uh, being conservative and um, making sure that you're always got a, a little bit of um, planning on the uncertainty and having some a rainy day fund, so to speak, uh, in simple terms, uh, certainly bodes well when some of those challenging days arise, for sure. Yeah, have, having capital available <laughs> to solve problems <laughs> is a good thing, for sure. Hey, so in multifamily, people talk about uh, it's a team sport. Over and over and over again, you'll, you'll hear people say, multifamily is a team sport. Talk about some of the players on that team okay yeah absolutely so so one my wonderful wife um i could talk about her all day uh she does a, a, a great job she's been involved <laughs> in uh well we've said a little bit with those are different experiences of managing single family properties underwriting and, and so on and so forth so we've also got uh lisa landry and uh, Lisa's been her own uh, design firm. She was the number one franchise in the country for a number of years before starting her own, uh, going out and starting her own company. Uh, Landry Designs just does a phenomenal job, super hard worker, uh, always on it, has a wonderful eye for design, which I do not. So whenever it comes to anything, picking out any colors, Darren, uh, I just listen. Um, leave it to her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. Like leave it to her. <laughs> so she's great at that. So, so everybody's got to know their own, their no, their own lanes. You know what I mean? And, and what and is it? They, uh, what, what about, um, what about the partners that you, what, what type of partners do you, um, partner up with? Uh, not, not part business partners, but like vendors. Um, oh, okay. partners that you, you need to get involved with. Yeah. So off the top of my head, um, obviously a, a great property management company and the, the great thing about a great property management company, they should have like their preferred vendors, uh, that they already work with. And that makes things exponentially easier. Um, and, and it's important for, right. for you or someone on the team to be able to get to know those folks as well. And I would say, and be able to continue networking, growing your sphere and, and learning other about other vendors. But, you know, you've got to have some great um, make ready teams. Um, got to have some great uh, say general contractors or folks that can do a multitude of uh, exterior things, whether it's, uh, you know, roofing, siding, painting, concrete, the big jobs, et cetera. If you have a boiler, you obviously want to have some, uh, plumbing companies that are proficient with boilers and are able to fix those. And the same thing for a chiller. Um, HVAC, obviously, uh, 
what else? Any type of, um, you know, water conservation or, or, uh, to go back to plumbers, plumbers can be, you know, very, very important electricians and, uh, having a great maintenance person. So a good lean maintenance person is going to take care of a lot of the smaller issues there. Um, but I'd say like for us, we use the lighting company and again, Carrie did an amazing job, um, finding a fantastic lighting company to replace and update all the lighting on our first property. And it really looks like daytime now at night. Yeah. So they took care of, took care of all of it. Um, again, and I'd say probably the the biggest thing without naming all the companies is, um, while your very best companies aren't going to be the cheapest, just like Apple computers are not the cheapest. Um, they're expensive and it's usually worth paying the extra money to work with a great company that's going to do great jobs and take care of you and take care of any issues. Should they have to come back and do something, you know, you want to be able to work with a company, Darren, that just says, yes, I agree with you. Um, this needs to be corrected. We'll come back and take care of it. And they do without giving you any pushback right. or charging right. additional money or uh, those types of things. Also, they, they need to have the, the, they must have. Let me jump in here. I would say that, yeah. um, you know, le- leverage is, is key here also is that, you know, when you're in a multifamily mentorship group, say property management company, you know, they want to do a good job for, you know, for Jeff Johnson and his team. But if they're also, you know, doing work for 20, 30, 40, 50 other, you know, groups within that multifamily mentorship group, then they understand the value of word of mouth. And if, if they mess up, you know, managing Jeff's deal, it's not only going to be Jeff's deal. Jeff's going to, he's got friends with uh, other people within the group and, you know, the property management company's reputation is on the line. So, you know, having, you know, that leverage. So then the property management company, as you mentioned, already has longstanding developments. And that property management company may manage a lot of different properties in that market. And so say they're a landscaper or a plumber or whatever, they want to do a good job for that property because they want the recommendation from the property management company on the next five properties that they end up managing. And, and so you, you want to have that, that leverage, somebody that has more skin in the game than just your property. Very true. Very true. It's, um, and I'll say also it's important that the way that you treat these, um, clients as, as well, or companies, um, you know, once, once you've gotten a chance to work with a, a good, strong, reputable company, uh, don't beat them up on the bids. Right. Don't put them up against, you know, three or four other folks and try to get them nickel and dime them down to the, the anything, because the, the best companies will quit returning your phone calls if they come out numerous times and they're giving you bids and you don't ever use them. You're just trying to use them to, to put up against each other. And uh, so that's one of the things that we do. Uh, we know that we found some some really fair contractors. They do really good work. Um, they're. Prices are competitive uh, and everybody should make money, you know, when they're at work. So 
Uh, we know they're really reliable and we'll come back and do anything, um, anything additionally that we need. Um, but we treat them fairly and they in turn treat us fairly. That's a great point. That's it's good. You look, everybody's got to make money, right? And, and, um, so if you find somebody that provides great value, um, and they, they stand behind their work, that's, that's a huge plus. And today's work, you, you know, you mentioned maintenance, you know, that's a, that's a big factor that people, I don't think, realize until they own a property. You know, you have a leasing manager and you want the leasing manager to, you know, rent these units and keep the property full. Um, but the maintenance person, you know, working on the work orders, you know, their AC is down or they have, an, you know, an issue or a leak or something's going on in their, their unit. They, you know, if they're paying rent there, they want to know that the property is taking good care of them. And that's going to translate into potentially them renewing and also them telling their friends and family that they should come live here because so the maintenance person has a really big role in, in this. Absolutely right. They certainly do. Vitally important to the property. So some of the other partners, um, you know, lawyers, you know, you know, somebody who understands, you know, these large syndications and the legal work associated with it. Um, you mentioned uh, GCs, you know, GCs can come from your property management company or could come from, you know, other um, referrals. Um, lenders, you know, you're going to get a loan on the property for, you know, 70% uh, or more of the, of the property value. You know, you want to have, a, you know, somebody that can provide a good lender to you. And that's part of the value of, of these multifamily mentorship groups and networking also is because you get the referrals to these quality vendors. Yep, very true. And, and uh, no, honestly, as you're talking about that, it's the ones that we've used, they were exactly that. They were referrals from other folks uh, that we, you know, know, like, and trust and came highly recommended. So we can give them a call and they were right. They were, you know, spot on with everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for them, the value is, I mean, look, look, you know, somebody, if they came in cold just from a, you know, say Google, they, they may have taken six months or a year to build that relationship, but then all of a sudden they're referred by somebody that's used them on four or five properties. You're, you're like 80% there in the buying decision already. You know, you've narrowed it down yep. to two or three you know, parties and, and you're ready to pull the trigger. Um, so it's, it's huge from their standpoint because their buying process, um, you know, for a new client goes down dramatically. So, um, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? You know, spend time with my amazing wife and, um, family. So we, we, we've got, uh, three active kiddos that, uh, are involved in, you know, band and soccer and boy and girl scouts. So they certainly keep us busy. We have a lot of fun with them and just trying to, uh, you know, enjoy every season of life that we can, uh, try to make it to the gym. Not quite as often as I like to, but I really enjoy going to the gym. And then, uh, we do dog rescue as well. So we've fostered over 45 dogs, um, and dog rescue. Holy cow. And, yeah. So one at a time, usually. How so long do you? Sometimes two right. at a time. 
I'm going to jump in on that one because I haven't heard that before. So how long do you keep a dog? When you how, however long it's necessary. So, so generally speaking. How long? Um, oh, so, I mean, well, give me a range. A week? A month? Probably one to three months. Um, it just depends. So Carrie has a, a vast network of different uh, rescue groups. And... Uh, you know, she works with just some really outstanding volunteers. So generally speaking, we'll get a dog that's, uh, you know, from the shelter that's on a, a euthanized list. And when nobody else will step forward and it's kind of in its final hour, uh, we'll work with the uh, different rescues to uh, sponsor the dog. And we'll get the dog and, and have it transported here. And then we'll work with the dogs um, and the rescue to make sure that they, you know, it's been vetted. So we go through and usually what we do is first is give it a bath, uh, help it to integrate or decompress because they're usually pretty stressed out after being in the, in the, uh, uh, the shelter we've had, we've gotten them. One, one we had was in the shelter, I think nine months and uh, you know, it was ironically, fine just totally 100% fine they'd said in the shelter that it was uh, had a lot of energy and had cage rage well it just hadn't gotten out and exercised in nine months and so you know Caesar Milan always says wow. that three wow. keys for uh, for dogs is energy exercise and affection yeah, um, sorry energy discipline and affection so you know we, we give them a bath um, they usually sleep for about three days so they, they almost can you know sleep for, for several days and they get up and we take them to the vet, make sure they've got up to date on all their shots, see if they're chipped. Uh, if they need neutered or spayed, take care of that as well. Once they get through that, we work with um, uh, socializing the dogs uh, with our dogs, uh, make sure they're friendly, usually teach them basic commands. Uh, so they're, you know, uh, house, uh, house, bro- what is it? house broken, um, friendly, with kids, people, dogs, learn how to walk on a leash, those types of things. And then Carrie works with um, Pet Finder and a, a number of different um, uh, uh, rescue groups to find the perfect dog. And this is what's really cool, Darren, is um, I never even knew this was a thing until actually you started, you started doing it. But the really cool part is that when somebody adopts a dog from us, they get a tryout period. So when we, you know, it's like anything else. We get an application. We want to make sure it's going to a good home. Um, ask a lot of questions. We go into a, a home lookup or an inspection on the home. We do a meet and greet. If there's other dogs there that you you, know, you might have, uh, we make sure that your dogs get along with our foster dog. Uh, that there's you know that it's going to be a nice fit. Uh, and we give you um, kind of a trial period. So once we we say it's a good idea, go ahead and take the dog for a couple of three days. Uh, make sure it integrates well with your family, whether it's kids, other dogs, pets, cats. Most recently, folks had a parrot. Uh, so making sure they get along really well, you know, together with them. And then and then it's like, hey, if it's a great fit, then we'll go ahead and sign the adoption papers. And if it's not, then you can return the dog um, and we'll keep looking for the perfect family for them. So it really is just uh, an amazing, That's amazing a- way. Amazing. Yeah, we've had, uh, I'll tell you about just a couple of them recently. Um, we had a family and they said, you know, we were really active in, in the pool, like hanging around the pool, go swimming. And if we had a dog that just loved water, that would be like just perfect. And uh, said, okay, so we, 
Um, we had a dog for him and it wasn't the right dog, but two or three dogs later, um, we had a dog that wouldn't stay out of our pool. And so we're like, all right, we know the perfect family to go talk to. I know the perfect family. I know the perfect family. Yeah. And so we called him up and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. So it was, it was just amazing. And uh, I mean, that just says so much about you and Carrie and your family that you guys spend the time to do that, that you are animal lovers and, you know, um, Look, we're all busy, and the fact that you guys have a heart for that, I mean, just says a lot about, you know, your whole family. So um, I applaud yeah, you well, for thank doing you so that. Much. And you're the first person that I've, I've talked to that kind of focuses in that area. And there's so many, you know, animal lovers out there. That's another beautiful part about this business is like, look, if you're an animal lover, and you want to get in a multi-family, like here's here's a syndicator for you. Like, you know, like you get to choose who you want to invest with if you're a passive investor. So like, that's that's awesome. So, so hey, Jeff, um, if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to, to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's admin at growpropertygroup.com. And if you want to reach out to my wife, Carrie, just send her an email at Carrie at growpropertygroup.com. It'll be a pleasure to get back with you. Fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>